Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates Donald Trump and associated issues. We take an honest look at the president, his policies, his critics, and try to make sense of it. We also look in a serious and unremitting way at what we regard as the existential threats to America. Sometimes foreign policy, military, terrorist, political, domestic. We take a look at all of it. Joining me today is John Hinderacher. John is a co-founder of the Powerline blog. He's also president of the Center of the American Experiment, longtime lawyer in Minneapolis-St. Paul. We'll dive deep into the Michael Cohen hearings and discuss the legal implications and dangers for the president. Uh, a couple of comments. First, uh, it seems to have disappeared in the news, I guess, with the situation in um, in Vietnam, the summit meeting with uh, Kim Jong-un. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, and, the, and the Michael Cohen hearings, we'll talk about that a lot. Uh, but uh, Jesse Smollett news seems to have disappeared from the front page. Right. But you told me something which I thought worth repeating to the audience, which hangs on your every word. <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, I'm you know on Twitter just seeing what folks are talking about, and uh, Van Jones uh, tweeted about the whole Jesse Smollett situation. He, he says, you know, if it turns out that this whole thing is made up, he just hopes that there's room in society for grace and redemption. And I thought that, well, that's odd because I haven't seen Van Jones <laughs> be kind of the champion for grace and redemption for others. Uh, but yet he wants grace and redemption for Jesse, you know, for, you know, Jesse in case this isn't true because of the horrors he must have. And, and wouldn't there be in at least the Christian tradition, a precondition for him to get grace, redemption and a- any measure of forgiveness? Yes. What would that be? To repent and be sorrowful and and, and want forgiveness. Yes, absolutely. He would have to, right, he would have to then admit yes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great uh, German theologian who was killed by the Nazis, talked about cheap grace, Mm -hmm. where you want grace even though you haven't done anything to earn it. Now, we all get grace from God that we don't deserve. Right, right. But uh, in the teachings, at least of Christianity, as I understand it, first you're sorry. Before yeah, you, yeah, before yeah. you get forgiven, I and, know in the, in the Catholic Church, you know, you do confession, and priests will say, "Are you sorry for these and all your other sins?" Yes. Well, then let me give you penance. But it, being sorry is first of all. So he has to come clean. Right. In the Smollett's has, case, he has to come. He clean. has to say he actually did something. Yeah, right. And, and he's sorry. Yeah. You know. Right. About it. And, he, and maybe you know, I think Chief Johnson. I was talking to a friend of mine who works in the police business, and he said uh, Johnson's been really sharp on this, and I agree. I think the country agrees. The chief in Chicago, and he said, you know, for him, forgiveness would require Smollett to pay some fairly significant expenses. Mm-hmm. What, they had mm-hmm. 20 detectives on this thing or 30 or something? Yes, yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right, well, Van Jones, here you go. The Green Room won the Academy Award for the Best Picture. Right, Green Book. Mm-hmm. The Green Book, mm-hmm. the Green Room is where I go before I go on TV. Right. <laughs> the Green Book is where I go if I want to see the Academy Award-winning movie. Right. Surprisingly, right. very nice movie. It's a beautiful story about a white man and a black man and how they become close and friends. Mm-hmm. And Spike Lee hated it. He was upset. Yeah, I think he wanted uh, his movie, Black Klansman. What's well, his win. movie. Right. Um, Which I take it is more of a separatist uh, I hadn't seen it. I don't but know. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. But uh, it's a celebration. Uh, the Green Book is a celebration of what we used to call the integrationist ethic. 
the idea that black and white should live together, which was a precursor of Martin Luther King, you know, not the content of your character, not the color of your skin. And these guys acknowledge the differences of their skin in a very candid way, funny ways in some ways, uh, because the white guy's the driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the black right. guy's the uh, <laughs> the wealthy aristocrat in the back seat. But um, so it's turnabout there. But it's a charming movie about human beings are going to know and love and respect each other and helping each other out. You know, in the racially charged early sixties, it's uh, it's particularly uh, moving. I, I family watched it with one of our sons and with my, with Mrs. Bennett and, and me, and uh, we enjoyed it very much. I, I haven't re- seen I it. Recommend it to okay, you. Okay, I'll watch it this weekend. Sierra and I will. I, I liked it a lot better than last year's Academy Award winner, which was. Moonlighting. Oh yeah, did Moonlight. Yeah, that? I did not see that. You don't want to. I okay, don't I'll I mean, take I your just, recommendation. <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, I just don't know why people celebrated it. Um, but you know, so be it. Um, let me just say something about the summit. Uh, it's uh, fine to get up, and walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one. Two. Uh, Reagan proved that at Reykjavik. Uh, he was depressed getting into the plane when they didn't come to an agreement. When he got in the plane, uh, Charles Wick, his, uh, one of his communications guys, was, I guess, the head of Voice of America at the time, former band leader, you know, part of the Hollywood crowd that the liberals made fun of. But mm-hmm. he was a pretty, pretty effective guy, Voice of America, said, uh, today you won the Cold War. And uh, Gorbachev came back. And um, that was kind of the beginning of the end of Reykjavik because he feared Star Wars. And, uh, you know, it was kind of funny because Reagan realized that he feared Star Wars and asked his people, Star Wars, we got something going here on Star Wars? But <laughs> what exactly? Uh, Gorbachev thought it was bigger than it was. But um, anyway, that's another that's another story told very well uh, by Ken Edelman uh, in his book about Reykjavik. But I mean, President Trump's playing this for the long run. And the other thing I'd mention is that at a meeting, the press was there and very unusual for Kim Jong-un to speak directly to the press. But somebody in the press asked him a question about, you know, you, you're getting rid of, you know, you're going to denuclearize. Right. The president started to say something in order to give cover to Kim Jong-un so he wouldn't have to answer. But Kim Jong-un answered. Mm-hmm. And the translator said, uh, oh, that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose, mm-hmm. the whole purpose of this meeting. President Trump said, can't do any better than that. So uh, too bad they didn't get further. But I'm, you know, I'm not discouraged. This is a long run. We're still a lot better off than we were two years ago. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Claude, I don't know if you saw, uh, did you watch a lot of the hearing uh, with Cohen? Yeah, in parts. I, I, not, not a lot, but I watched enough. Did you see the clothes? I did not. That I did not see. Yeah. Um, it was fascinating because uh, Miss uh, Tlaib uh, from Michigan, mm-hmm. a Democrat liberal, one of the new ones, attacked Mark Meadows, the head of the Freedom Caucus. At the beginning of the hearing, Mark Meadows said, uh, you know, responding to Cohen saying the president was a racist, Mark Meadows introduced someone he apparently came for the hearing who uh, used to work for Donald Trump, black woman, right, African-American woman, and said, you know, she vouches for him. She wouldn't work for a racist. She's worked for him, you know, many years. So uh, Congressman Tlaib later on said, you know, simply having a black woman there as a prop doesn't prove anything about Donald Trump. And in fact, to introduce a black woman as giving bona fides to Donald Trump, using the black woman as a prop is itself racist. Mark Meadows almost came out of his skin mm-hmm. um, being accused of that. She later denied that she said that or meant that, but she clearly said it, whether she meant it or not, is something else. But he appealed to the chairman, Elijah Cummings, self-black, out of Baltimore. And I, he was on the verge of breaking up. He's a very composed guy and a very smart guy. Mm-hmm. I like Mark very much. And he appealed to the chairman and to the chairman's own personal knowledge of him, Mark Meadows, and said, you know 
why am I'm your friend? And I must say, Cummings was very good in response. Mm-hmm. He said, I do know who you are, mm-hmm. and we are friends. And Meadows said, you know, my nieces and nephews are black, and I think you know my views. And he and Cummings was very good. And then we got the congresswoman to uh, apologize, um, or Cummings did. It was very dramatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not allowed to call each other names, you know, in these congressional hearings. And that's, as we know, the thing, the worst thing to say in American life. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Call someone a racist. And so it was, uh, it was quite a moment. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show. All right, it's time to jump in with John Hinderocker, one of the founders of Powerline. He's also president of the Center of the American Experiment, longtime lawyer in Minneapolis-St. Paul. Mr. Hinderocker. Hey, Bill, how are you? How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm at CPAC. I'm, uh, I found a kind of a quiet spot in the corridor. You know what it reminds me a little bit of, Bill? What? A couple of years ago, several years ago now, I did, I did a, a spot on your radio show from the garden at Chatsworth. My wife and I were in England on vacation. <laughs> I thought it was the most amazing thing. I'm not even indoors, you know. I'm in a garden at Chatsworth, and apparently it came through just fine. Well, here we are. Did you speak already? No, I'm not speaking, actually. I'm here. Um, you know, I, I run the think tank now, Star of the American. Oh, I know it. We've got a booth here. Oh, great. Yeah, we're, we, I think, are the only state-based uh, policy organization that is represented here and has a booth. But one of the things I'm trying to do is to gradually raise our national profile. And I think this is... Uh, kind of a fun way to do it. That's great. Who is the member of Congress who represents the center of the American experiment? Well, uh, <laughs> philosophically, I mean, geographically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got to I gotta think for a second what this is our, our office is in. I think our office is in what used to be Eric Paulson's district, which is now uh, Dean Phillips. Okay. He, he, he beat Eric uh, uh, in November. We're kind of on the line between that district. I think we're in that district in my office. But, you know, if you go uh, a few hundred yards to the east, uh, you'd be in Ilhan Omar's district, now, you know, vacated by, uh, by Keith Ellison. There you go. Well, I'm uh, in Maryland. Uh, but we live, our legal residence is North Carolina. But if we were still legally here, my representative would be Jamie Raskin. Hmm. Well, yeah, not that, somebody I know. You remember Marcus Raskin, writer? It rings a bell. Generally. Socialist. I don't, so, I don't think. To use the word of the day, socialist. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, big, well, big. Out of the closet, though. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, well we're going to talk. We're going to talk. We're going to talk about that. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. But okay. uh, no, and uh, and our 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 senators are um, Chris Van Hollen is our new senator from Maryland, and um, you know that's uh, there you there you go. Anyway. Um, uh, we are delighted to have you on the podcast and um, just admired you guys, Powerline, Center of the American Experiment. How's Mitch doing? Is Mitch do, uh, doing okay, Mitch Perlstein? Mitch is doing well. Uh, this is the first year that he's officially going part-time. Uh, he is about to publish a book. Uh, he's written a book on the subject of one of our projects, which is promoting alternatives to four-year college degrees. Oh, good. And it's good. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what? You got to have Mitch on your podcast. I will. He's going to come out. Yeah, you really should. The book is coming out in April, and uh, he's going to be in a publicity effort around the book. In fact, I'll mention him. You do. Uh, that, that you and I have talked, and it's something that's kind of a no-brainer to for you to chat with him about it. It's a, it's, it's a great topic, and I'm sure it's going to be a good book. I have not yet read it. Well, we borrowed him from uh, Minnesota for a while. 
to uh, work at the Department of Education. I don't know if you remember that. Right. And tell him I'll make him a deal. If he'll, in the process of his work, read my book called Is College Worth It? Okay. You get the idea. Then um, we'll surely yeah. have him on. We'll have yeah. him on anyway. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, good. yeah, I mean, uh, there is a fair question about whether college is worth it. But I'll, 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 we'll talk to Mitch about that. You, can you mind putting your lawyer hat on and talk about the Cohen hearings for Absolutely. a couple minutes? Yeah, happy to. Okay. Uh, the, the big question, then we'll break it down. Trouble for Trump? Not embarrassing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, Trump is a hard guy to embarrass, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> very things, funny. That's very funny. <laughs> you know, and given the things that everybody knows about Trump, I, I don't think anything came out yesterday that's new or that's surprising or that's going to change how people think about him. The Democrats are trying to promote the idea that that there's um, uh, legal peril here in the fact that he paid off Stormy Daniels. By the way, I can't believe they were talking about Stormy Daniels again. Please, please, can we move on? I think I'll start an organization called MoveOn.org. There you go. That's a good idea. MoveOn, MoveOn.org. MoveOnCon.org. Yeah, yeah. And try to move on from Stormy. So here's the deal on that, Bill. If she was blackmailing Donald Trump, that's a crime. That's extortion. Blackmailing is, sure. is illegal. So so she might have committed a crime here. I don't know. Paying a blackmailer is not a crime. It's not illegal. Nor is entering into a non-disclosure agreement. You know, the press and the Democrats try to make this sound sinister by calling it hush money, right? Well, it may be sleazy, right? But it, but it's not illegal uh, to to pay someone for a non-disclosure agreement. And the key point here is that Trump used his own money. If he had used campaign funds to pay her $100,000 or whatever it was, that would be illegal. That's what Jesse Jackson did. That's what a number of politicians have gone to prison for. Is that what John Edwards did? Uh, yeah. Well, okay. yeah. And he was acquitted, by the way. He didn't get convicted on that, as I recall. Yeah, that's right. That's um, right. Yeah, yeah. He, that, you know, he, he was using campaign funds to to hush up the the, the mistress that had the had the love child. Well, you know, so so if he had used campaign funds, that would be illegal. But what Trump did was to use personal money to pay a personal obligation, which is perfectly legal. And, you know, the Democrats can huff and puff all they want, but they're just wrong. So the check, the the front page picture in a lot of newspapers around the country this morning, this is the day after that public hearing for Cohen, um, <clears throat> that check written while Trump was president, it doesn't, doesn't change anything. No, it means nothing. No, it was perfectly legal for him to pay Stormy Daniels. And that means it was perfectly legal for him to reimburse Cohen for paying Stormy Daniels. You know, that, that, that's just nothing. I mean, there's, there may be something wrong with it. It's obviously not something to be proud of, and I'm sure Melania doesn't like it. But from a legal standpoint, um, it, you know, it's just not an issue. How can, uh, maybe this is an eternal question about lawyers, how can so many lawyers and commentators on CNN and MSNBC see it exactly the opposite? This is a major big deal. Well, I mean, I, I guess the additional consideration they would bring in, tell me if I'm wrong, is if this was done in order to evade campaign finance regulations? Well, here again, I mean, it's just wrong, Bill. I mean, the theory that they're applying is that if you do something, if you spend money, 
that could help your campaign, or if you didn't spend it, might hurt your campaign, that makes it a campaign expenditure. That's not the law. So, for example, if, 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 a, if a candidate is going to give a speech and, and he says, gee, I, I, I should get a haircut, I'm looking kind of shaggy, and he goes and he gets a haircut and he uses his own money to pay for the haircut and he doesn't report it on an FEC form, he has not committed a violation. That's a personal expense, getting okay. a haircut. Okay. You know, they're, they're, so, so there's a lot of silliness uh, that people are saying about this. And the, um, the prosecutors in, in uh, Cohen's case, of course, tried to advance that ball because they got Cohen to plead guilty to a campaign finance violation, right? right. That was part of his, his guilty plea. Well, fine, but so what? Uh, getting a guy to plead guilty to something does not make it a crime as against a third person. I see. Yeah, but they obviously did that to try to shore up this idea that, oh, boy, now if we can tie Trump into this into this payment, now we've got Trump committing the crime. Well, no, sorry. Uh, a guilty plea doesn't convert it into a crime. John, three times uh, last night, this morning, I heard... Smoking gun, smoking gun, smoking gun. And there was a picture of the check. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. you know, it's so funny. I mean, one of the things going on here, Bill, is that, you know, the Democrats have been waiting for uh, for uh, Bob Mueller to save them for, what, all going on two years now. And it's become blindingly obvious that Mueller's not going to save them. You know, they, they always thought the smoking is going to be something yes. actually between Trump and the yes. you know, some evidence of collusion. And and I'm looking forward to Miller's report because I'm sure he'll try to lard it up with all kinds of stuff to make Trump uh, look bad. But, but, but the central conclusion of the report is going to be that he looked high and low for evidence of collusion and couldn't find any. There was another, and I didn't pay any attention to this, or I wasn't watching at the time, but I, I heard Jonathan Turley this morning, whom I usually associate with pretty good sense on these things. Is that fair? Yeah. He said there's a bank fraud question. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. He said there was a thing about uh, they were buying something, the Trump organization, or borrowing money, and they went to Deutsche Bank, and it looks like they're, they inflated their wealth. Trump's wealth or the organization's wealth. And if they did, that's not a PR thing. That's not something to an audience. That's something to a bank, and that could be bank fraud. Yeah, it's like when Michael Cohen says that, oh, yeah, Trump used to, you know, uh, make it, the values of his properties look, you know, try to make them look bigger or smaller for, uh, for tax purposes. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no kidding. You know, owners of vast commercial properties, are, are dueling with government agencies about what is the value of those properties for tax purposes constantly. Yeah, okay. All the time, you know. And I'm sure that Trump did take the position that his properties had value X, and, and taxing authorities would say, no, 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 they're more valuable than that. We want to tax them at value Y. Of course. I mean, that's just, you know, that's that's business in the world. Now, as to bank fraud, I mean, you'd have to know a lot more about what's okay. going on there. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I've seen many financial disclosures that have been made to banks uh, in, in the context of litigation, which, if you knows how I how I misspent my adult life. And it's very okay. common. Uh, it's very common right. okay. uh, for there to be questions about values that are stated in the kinds of you know st statements that are given to, uh, to banks. And, All right. and and in part that's because when you when you own things like Trump Tower and so on, you know there, there, there's no there's no obvious number as to what's the value of that property. 
you know, that is something on which, uh, you know, about which people disagree. So, I mean, it would have to be something really extreme to make me think that there's a serious issue. All right, let's 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 go to a, a larger perspective, uh, make the circle larger, and that is um, Turley, uh, Andy McCarthy, again, another guy, lawyer whose opinion I respect. I have heard them both say probably not much in the Mueller, but if I were Trump, I'd be more worried about. Southern District of New York. Uh, and I think an Andy, Andy McCarthy, is still worried about. It. Are you worried about findings by the Southern District of New York? Well, I, I don't know, uh, Bill. I mean, you know, it's, um, was it Beria who said, uh, uh, show me the man and I'll find you the crime? Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like that's the world that we're living in. Oh, I mean, sure. People are out to get that. No, no, I know they are. But but I guess and, my question is short, and, short circuit that. Can they get him? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, Bill, it's, it seems like if you are a guy who has had the kinds of dealings, you know, major, major business dealings, uh, sort of on the, you know, on the cutting edge of real estate and so on, over a period of decades, um, who knows? You know, there might be something there that if if, if they fly spec it and they take a hostile view, uh, they, they might be able to call it a crime. I mean, I think the bank fraud one is a good example. I mean, I've seen many yeah. people submit uh, the financial statements to, to banks that, with hindsight, were deemed to be way off the mark. Well, uh, is it possible that, that Trump did that? I, I don't know. It could be. A couple of questions in the form of analogies and a reference. My old friend Bob Novak, I remember Robert Novak, columnist. Yeah. Said, if the government comes after you and decides to come after you and wants to get you, they'll get you because uh, all men are sinners. And you know, if you're in large financial enterprises, you didn't dot the i's and cross the t's everywhere, and they'll get you. That's that's one. Two, I heard Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, say this morning. There is not an aspect of uh, Donald Trump's commercial and uh, financial and public life that we are not going to examine. Well, that's that's kind of terrifying. Who who can who can withstand that kind of scrutiny? Well, it is terrifying, Bill. And you know, have we ever had a president that the that the entire American establishment was determined to bring down? Yeah, no, I don't no, think we haven't. so. No. I think we're I think this is uncharted territory. I mean, the, the Barack Obama campaign paid what was it, three hundred sixty-eight thousand dollars in fines for campaign yeah. finance violations, yeah, something like that, that's for real right. ones, yeah. not fake ones. Yeah, no one cared. You know, it was no big deal. But, you know, the entire establishment is out to destroy Donald Trump. And I, 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 I'm afraid, you know, it's possible that they could succeed. I think it's really important that they don't. But if if they, quote, get the goods on him, if there are goods to be gotten and they get it on him, they have to go the impeachment route, right? Uh, you know, who knows? The, the Department of Justice has a right. guideline that says that they won't indict a sitting president. Some people say, well, that's a little bit silly. What are we talking about? I mean, if the sitting president shoots somebody in the White House, seriously, you, you don't think he can be indicted? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so, so... Or on Fifth Avenue. I, I, yeah, yeah. Sorry. You know, sorry. Hypothetical. Yeah, right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I hope the president's not listening to this one. He has listened to my podcast before, so go ahead. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. Uh, I don't know, Bill. I mean, I, I, what I hope happens is, is that there is a certain degree of popular revulsion against this campaign of destruction uh, yeah. on the part of voters. And I also hope that uh, the Democrats nominate a really terrible candidate in 2020 and Trump gets reelected. 
And I think to some degree, his reelection uh, is going to moot some of this stuff. Uh, maybe that's too optimistic, you know. I want to ask so you. I, I think we need to see kind of an emphatic rejection of the idea that it's appropriate for, the, for all of the guns of, of, of government power to, to be trained on the president. I was wondering this, too. And let me just throw a few things out. And they're heterologous, but but sort it out. Um Gee whiz, president's over there trying to negotiate a deal, you know, summit with Kim Jong-un, and they're doing this this, this Cohen show. They're attacking him uh, preemptively on that, saying nothing's going to happen, and it's a waste of time, and so on. Whatever happened to the water's edge? There's the accusation, which ultimately is against Trump, that Jesse Smollett makes. And you can say it's about racism in America, but if there's a personal target, it's Trump. There's the entire establishment, as you just said, out to get Trump. Does this stuff register? Uh, does this does this help him? You think in the in the public? Do they? I, it seemed to me that at some point during the Clinton stuff, public opinion just really turned. Uh, in his favor, because people thought there was just too much going on, and there were maybe PR mistakes, and maybe uh, Carvel and company succeeded in saying, you know, it's just it, it, this is about sex, not about you know, not about lying, not about conduct in office. But there is something in the American people where they say, yeah, you're not giving this guy a fair break. Um, is, is, is that going on? Cite any of these any of these examples? Do, do any of them move the needle? The public sentiments, do you, do well, you think? Well, I hope so, Bill. You know, I've been waiting for a while now for voters to realize that the Democrats are crazy. You know, I mean, I think we're seeing lunacy on a scale. I, I, I haven't witnessed it before, and I've been around for a while. And I'm kind of still waiting, you know, for, for the for the reaction to begin. Um, I don't know. You know, one of the things about President Trump is kind of interesting. It's very hard to move his poll numbers, you know. Yeah. My guess is that this Michael Cohen thing, which the Democrats build as this great bombshell, I'll bet they don't move his numbers at all. You know, maybe one point. I mean, I think the people who who like Trump uh, or, or who approve of, of his policies – even though they may have reservations about his personality. Um, I don't, you know, what's going to come out that's going to cause those people to change their minds? Yeah. Stormy Daniels obviously didn't do it, right? Right. And conversely, the people who don't approve of Trump hate him. You know, it's unbelievable, the, the vitriol. And and uh, and so, I, I, you know, are those people going to see the light and say, you know what, this guy I've been hating for the last two years is really being unfairly treated? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I think we've got to a point where I'm not sure there's a, there's a whole lot of give in the system. Well, well, then he's going to get... Then what you just said is is open to question. I mean, I, I'm with you, but you know, 2020. I mean, this president won with 80,000 votes in three states. Was not the number something like that? Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Was it yeah, like? Yeah. So his margin is not that not that great. And one other thing, this could lead to a long discussion. But I agree with you about a lot of the loony left ideas. But you know what? A lot of people are buying those loony left ideas. Yeah, yeah. Until you see the price tag. I don't know. You talk to a lot of millennials lately? I think they've grown up in a world of uh, multi-trillion dollar debt and sort of fictitious dollars. Yeah. And don't, don't really believe in that there is yeah. such a thing as a price tag. I mean, that's clearly as Ocasio, uh, what's her name, Ocasio-Cortez's view. Sure. Money, who cares about money? You know, Chris the more. Victor Hugo um, says there's nothing quite as powerful as a, an idea whose time has come. And I worry <laughs> that, this, that this is true even for bad ideas. 
Yeah, and you know, the, of course, the Venezuela situation, the timing is unfortunate for the Democrats, right? <laughs> it, is, it does. And I think, I think Trump is very smart to have talked about Venezuela, the State of the Union. He gave that big speech down in Florida. I think that's something that he and other Republicans should keep hammering away at. Um, it's obviously a, a severe embarrassment for people who want to be serious about uh, about socialism. But I think in the 2020 election, um, Bill, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, it, it, I think it's going to be close. Uh, I, it's really hard to tell at, at this stage whether Trump is going to do, you know, better than he did in 2016 or, or worse. I mean, some of those states, yeah, were very, very close. Uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Um, One visit to Wisconsin, you know? One really good visit to Wisconsin by Kamala Harris, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and, you know, Trump almost carried Minnesota. A lot of people said if he'd come twice instead of once, you know, he'd carry the state. Oh, you guys always so, say so, that. So, you guys always say that. I don't believe that. <laughs> you got a blue state. Let's just face it. Come on. There's a number of moving parts. And one of them, of course, in 2016, a big one, obviously, was Hillary Clinton. And yeah. I was one of the relatively few pundits who actually predicted that Trump was going to win the election. <laughs> Not because I really understood the Trump phenomenon, I didn't, but because I thought Hillary was such an unbelievably bad candidate that she couldn't beat anyone. Yeah. And I, I think with hindsight, I was right about that. Um, but on the other hand, you know, she was a Clinton. She was a very familiar name. She did not have the reputation of being a, an extremist. Um, and, uh, and and most people thought she was a formidable candidate. Oh, so, yeah, so yeah. you know, imagine if this time the Democrats nominate, I don't know, Bill O'Rourke or I don't know who, you know, somebody. Um, you know, that, that they, they may very well nominate somebody who makes Hillary look like a strong candidate. And, um, you know, and, and maybe it's an easier road for Trump. I, I, I don't think we can but, tell at this point. Yeah, but I would say... I think I'm just pausing because it's so rare and unusual for me to disagree with you. Maybe I don't. Let me spell it out and you tell me. I, I, Venezuela, Venezuela is fine, but you also better have some real successes more than you've had, though they're considerable. And you better have some good policy prescriptions. You know, Trump won on, a, on this kind of populist revolt against the establishment. Bernie, you know, uh, has, a, has, a, has a revolution against the establishment, too. As thin as these leftist ideas are, their ideas, and I think Republicans, conservatives, need, need ideas, policy proposals on education and on, on health care and on, uh, you know, uh, immigration, obviously, uh, and other things. Um, that is progressive policy proposals. Just to say Venezuela, Venezuela, I don't think is enough. Now, you didn't say it was enough. You thought it was necessary or sound, but not necessarily sufficient. Well, I, I think it's helpful, you know. I, I, sure. I, I think the sure, the timing is, is very helpful. Sure. <laughs> you know. Um, well, I don't disagree with that, Bill. I mean, I, I mean, as long as the economy stays strong, that's another big if. You know, if we go into a recession three months before the election, that changes everything. But as long as the economy stays strong, Trump has got a terrific record to run on, I think, in terms of economic growth, in terms of jobs, in terms of certain industries um, uh, regaining strength. Uh, he's got an excellent record in foreign policy to, to run on. Um, I, I don't have any problem with, with that as far as it goes. I think you're right that as a movement, uh, we conservatives need to do a much better job of articulating our vision 
in our philosophy and selling it to the American people. And of course, that's one of the reasons why I'm now, you know, working full time running a think tank. Yeah, so of course. Do. And you guys do great, um, serious work policy wise. Great work. Well, thank you. But I, I think I think it's something that the entire conservative movement needs to needs to work on. You know, when you and I were growing up, Bill, if you walk down the street, I grew up in a in a town in South Dakota. You know, you walk down the street, you could stop any anybody on the street and say, hey, what, what do you think about socialism? And what, what do you think about free enterprise? And you would get an intelligent answer. You know, the person would say, oh, no, socialism is terrible. It might sound good, but it doesn't work. You know, look at this, look at that. And free enterprise, yeah, here's why free enterprise is a good thing. Here's why it works. And, you know, look at the prosperity. And you didn't, you know, you didn't have to start from square one teaching people those things. Everybody knew it, and and that's been lost. And I think it's been lost in part because of the disaster that is American public education. Uh, You're being polite now. I, look, it's my fault. Yeah. It is totally my yeah. fault. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I was the secretary yeah. of education. I was running around talking about content, you know, serious curriculum, choice, and character, three C's. And I should have just been lecturing yeah. on socialism, the history of socialism. <laughs> what the heck was I thinking? <laughs> we, can't, we can't pin this one on you, Bill. Yeah, you can. No, I, in this sense. I mean, me collectively. You're right. I mean, I people have said to me, "What? You know, where's the answer? I said, it's in the middle schools, in the high schools. What, what are these kids taught about America? Right. No, that's exactly right. And of course, you wrote, you wrote that wonderful, you know, history book. Um, Thank you. You know, toward that end, and so, so, so I, but, but I think that we have to d- deal with the reality that's in front of us. And part of that reality is that a great many Americans no longer understand or believe just the basic truths about free enterprise, about freedom. You know, no, of course, and about socialism, and and I think that um, you know we, we conservatives really have to roll up our sleeves and, and get back to teaching. Yeah, you know, I used to be opposed to the uh, year abroad and all that because I always thought it was a waste of time. I still think it is. But now I'm in favor of it. I think people ought to go to all these places, not just Europe, but all around the world, and then count the days they get back in the United States, you know, because that's, that's what they want. You know, everybody wants to come Everybody wants to come back. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think this is tough, and I think it's tough because the state of education, uh, the media, a razor-thin election last time. Um, tough to move people to his side. Tough to move people out of his side, as you point out. But they're not going to stop. I mean, the Democrats, liberals, they're not going to stop. They're after him. They have one goal in life, it seems to me. Just take him down. Isn't that, isn't that right? But let me ask you this question. Yeah, please. This is something I've, I've pondered from time to time, and I'm sure, I'm sure you have, too. Why is it that the other side is so relentless, and our side, it seems to me, is not? I don't know. You know, I, I, you know, a lot of the donors to my organization are also political donors, and um, and one of the things I'm dealing with in fundraising is what I call depressed donor syndrome. You know, people who are selling their houses, moving out of Minnesota, people who are throwing up their hands and saying, "I give up." And where are they going, by the way? If you move out of Minnesota, where do you go? Uh, well, the one that I have in mind, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. No taxes. Yeah. A popular destination. Yeah. Um, but and I think you know, and I kind of scratched my head over that because in 2016 we were the ones having the victory parties. You know, know. We did well, we won in 2016 in Minnesota. I know. Uh, and, and and generally, of course, around the country. And, and and you know, after that cycle, 
the Democrats didn't sell their houses and move. They didn't say, you know, we're we're doomed. I'm giving up. Um, as you as you point out, Don, they are completely relentless. Uh, they are going to keep pounding away uh, at the president and at us conservatives, regardless of what happens. Why is it that they are so relentless? And it seems as if we are so much less so. They're more interested. So tell me that. They are more interested in politics. Our, our, yeah. our, our folks are more normal. They want to, you know, make money, uh, keep the farm, uh, go to the, take care of the kids, uh, watch sports. These people, these people, much more live for politics. The founders, right. as you remember, you know, they want, they were willing to go do Articles of Confederation, do Constitution, then they want to go home. These liberals don't want to go home. They leave Washington, they go to Alexandria. I, I'm sort of like them. I'm, a, I'm not only responsible for the failure of the country as Secretary of Education, I'm also a swamp creature now for... <laughs> Really, John, you shouldn't have taken this call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I, I'll say is you represent the upper end of the swamp. If you're a swamp creature, uh, <laughs> yeah. you're, I'm at least at the upper end of the swamp. Well, That's well, I great. think your point is exactly right, though. I think that the reason why they're so, so much more relentless, so much more determined, is because they get so much more of their meaning in life from politics. They do. I mean, politics is really their organizing principle yeah. in a way that it just isn't yeah. for for virtually all conservatives. Yeah. No, the right to be let alone. You know, Brandeis, was that Brandeis? The right most valued by civilized men, right to be left alone. And the right yeah. not to participate, you know? I mean, I encourage everybody to vote and participate. God knows you do at the center. But, you know, a lot, a lot of conservatives rather just... Yeah. I remember when Obama was elected the second time reelected. I remember in the radio show, a lot of our listeners called and said, Bill, I won't be calling anymore. I'm just going to spend time with the kids and go to the country and listen to music. And they don't do that. They they move to they move way out to Alexandria or Rockville, Maryland, and then you know just outside the castle walls, and then besieged from close by. Let you go, John. You've given very generous with your time. Congratulations, you guys are great. Powerline blog is great, and uh, we read it religiously. And uh, so glad you're in the fight, staying in the fight. Well, thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. And um, if you ever want me on again, uh, just give me a call. I'm happy to happy to be on the. I will, and just know that when we're not talking to you on a podcast, we will do that. We're reading you all the time. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me, Claude, on Twitter. Yes. And you can like me, Claude, on Facebook. Absolutely. Just search Bill Bennett. Mm-hmm. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. If you do email the show, I'm going to do this myself this time. Okay. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. There you go. I'm going to say it again. Okay. Until I say, <laughs> say it in my sleep. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.